Hello. I'm Tina, compulsive overeater. I'm going to go ahead and bring Nancy up here, and she's going to... Hi, hello, hello. Okay, we're going to have to really be on to this mic. If somebody knows how to adjust and turn up the sound, that would be great. Um, Nancy, come on up, and we're going to introduce our speaker. Hi. Hello, hello. Hello. Hi, everybody. Good morning. I'm Nancy, and I am a compulsive overeater. And I'm really thrilled again to be looking at all everybody here having their wonderful meal together, all of us together, and Overeaters Anonymous at this amazing convention that I've been honored to be a part of. Uh, I, I met our breakfast speaker in 1972 when I first came to uh, Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, I left after a couple of years. But when I came back 19 years ago, there she was. And um, she's been an inspiration in my program. And so what I've learned from our breakfast speaker is the miracles that happened because she came back for 43 years. Let's welcome Irene. So right up. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. Uh, oh, okay. Hold on. Have all my stuff here. Um, okay. Good morning, everybody. It's great. Oh, I see a lot of familiar faces. That feels good. And um, yeah, it's good to see everybody. Um, okay. This is this is hard. <laughs> It's not that hard. <laughs> you know, I need something to complain about. Okay. Um, okay. Um, it's great. It's really great to see such a full room. Um, it's great to see such a full room. Um, I'm supposed to say how many years in the program and all that. Okay. I've been in the program 43 years and 10 months. Um, I'd been abstinent that time, and thank you, one day at a time, literally one day at a time, and it adds up. Um, my weight loss is 100 pounds. I've been maintaining that weight loss for, it took me five and a half years to lose the weight, and um, I'll get into that in um, a little bit. I was overweight from the age of five. Until I came into OA, I never saw myself at a normal size. I had no idea what I was going to look like. When I finally lost weight, I couldn't get over how big my nose was. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I thought, I thought to myself, you really don't look that great. But I didn't care because I was normal, quote. And I was relieved of a lot of that... Um, um, what is that word that I want? That when you, you when you know everybody's when you think everybody's looking at you and self consciousness and probably paranoia too. Um, at twelve, I started my first diet, and at that um, two years before that, my mother had passed away at thirty six years old when I was ten, and um, it was very traumatic, of course. And my aunt, her sister. Um, really took care of me. And she knew how upset I was about being so overweight. And she took me to a diet doctor. And for so many years, I had such guilt at that time because I was, I didn't think my mother would have ever done that. And I thought, secretly, I, and I, this came out in my inventory, I thought secretly, my mother would have never done that, so I'm kind of glad she died because I got a chance to go to a diet doctor. And uh, that guilt stayed with me until I wrote my inventory. Um, let me see, what else did I have to say here? Wow. 
on. Um, of course, I um, on my first diet, I lost about 25 pounds. I probably had to lose 50, and I was 12. And, um, of course, I never completed the diet. You know, once I started having, I was allowed to have a scoop of ice cream and, uh, you know, like a little scoop. And I wound up, of course, much more than that, having a lot more than that. And that ended the diet. At 15 years old, my father remarried, and I was so happy to be in a home, in, in a home with, you know, a stepmother and a stepsister. And I, it was over the summer, and um, my stepsister was a year younger than me, and I really liked her. And um, I thought, I am just going to, like, have a family life, which to me meant eating. And, um, and I had gained a lot of weight over that summer. <coughs> and <coughs> we used to start school a week after Labor Day in New York. And um, August had started, and I had gained so much weight. And, of course, when I'm gaining, I, the scale... It could be right in front of my face, and I don't see it. I, won't, I will not go on a scale when I'm eating. I mean, it's, it's very different than I am today, thank God. And uh, I was 15, and in August, I thought, oh, my God, school's coming, and everybody will see how fat I am. Of course, nothing fit me. And I got the courage one morning to step on the scale, and I looked down, and it was 182. And I thought, oh, my God. God, how did this happen? I, I have, I'll never again, I'll never, ever, ever get like this again. And I went on a diet and I lost some weight and I got like to 150 pounds. And I really needed to get down a lot more than that. But okay, I fit in. I wasn't like an outcast and I was happy with that. And of course, I was supposed to lose more and the diet ended, you know. I mean, this is the story of my life. At age 22, I met my husband, and I weighed about 145 pounds at that time. And um, we got married 10 months later, and I weighed 193. And in a wedding dress that had to be taken out, I couldn't get the wedding dress that I wanted because it didn't come in my size. I, uh, people were coming from out of town, and that hadn't seen me, and I had gained so much weight. My then-boyfriend, before we got married, said to me, I know you're upset about your weight, but I'll love you no matter what. This was like, I, I feel like I married him just for that. That was it. If you tell me that, I'll marry you. <laughs> so I did, and um, that was very humiliating walking down the aisle, feeling so, so terrible and humiliated. And it was like, when I'm gaining weight, I withdraw. So it's like I couldn't run away from this. And um, I just, it was a horrible experience um, because of I was so overweight. Although... I would never have a wedding again. I mean, I did it because I thought it will be my first marriage. It's the only time I could wear a white gown. And I thought, this was 53 years ago. And I thought, oh, well, you know, I better have a wedding. But I wound up, I, I, that's, I didn't, I thought it was stupid. Anyway, one year later, my daughter was born. And I was, after her birth, I was 230 while I was in my ninth month. After her birth... I only lost 15 pounds. I thought I would lose like 75. <laughs> and uh, so that was the end of that. I'd, at age 24, at age 24, um, two, when my daughter was two year, uh, year old, I, I was now 230 pounds. And all this is with having some diet days, you know, 230. I mean, I could... I know I'm capable today of gaining five pounds at a meal. I mean, that, that's a given, you know. So, um, so I went to a diet doctor when I was 24 years old. Um, 
Burlingame, Dr. Posnick, if anybody relates. <laughs> Somebody there. I lost 50 pounds. And then I was, of course, it didn't last. What does it say? Willpower goes far enough. Willpower, as good as it goes, but it doesn't go far enough. And that's the problem. Willpower. You know, it just ends for me. So I was taking diet pills, and I was starting to gain weight. Now I was in a dilemma, you know, like a year or two later. I was still taking diet pills and still gaining weight, and I just thought to myself, if I stop these diet pills, how much am I going to eat? I was eating so much and binging and, <coughs> excuse me, and I thought, how much am I going to eat? I'm, I'm, I'm going to be gigantic, and I probably would have been. So it, it's, it's, this was in the day when Weight Watchers first came to California. I found out about Weight Watchers. I went there. I was not successful weight-wise, but it did get me off the diet pill. So I've always been very thankful for Weight Watchers to have done that for me. So over the years, I was in and out of Weight Watchers. At 30, (coughs) (coughs) yeah, would you mind? I forgot to bring it. (coughs) Thank you very much. (coughs) At 30, I lost uh, 50 pounds of Weight Watchers. At the time, see, when I'm depressed, I don't eat. I'm one of those that eats. I I like to eat when I'm relaxed. So I guess I've been relaxed most of my life. (laughs) And at this point in time, I had a medical problem, and I was 30, and they said it could be cancer. That made me very depressed, and they gave me pills to kind of see if it uh, stopped growing and it grew massively. And um, so I was very depressed. (coughs) I didn't eat, and I'd lost 50 pounds, and Weight Watchers thought it was through their success. And it was because I was depressed, and I was passing up things that, you know, I would have normally ate, ate it all. So the surgery was over. It wasn't cancer. The doctor came into the recovery room to, to tell me it wasn't cancer. And I was so relieved in the recovery room coming out of anesthesia that I said to myself, oh, I am just so happy that it's not cancer. And now I could eat in peace. And for the next two weeks, I'm not going to worry about dieting. I'll just, for two weeks, I'll just eat everything I want, and then in two weeks, I'll start my diet. Two years later, (laughs) every single day was a failure. Every single day. There were some days that I dieted up until after dinner, and then I I was a stay-at-home mom at the time, And I used to stay up late and watch Johnny Carson. And when Johnny Carson would come on, I would be in the kitchen. There was nothing in the house to eat because that's the only way I could control myself, by not buying the stuff at that point. And um, I would be boiling the pasta because I wasn't having, you know, cookies and all that stuff available. And I would, so I would be boiling the pasta while the pasta's boiling, because I can't wait for pasta to cook when I want to eat. While the pasta's boiling, I would be getting out the peanut butter jar, and I would be eating with a spoon to wait till the pasta would get done. So it was like, you know, because to me, peanut butter's not a meal. It's, you eat it while you're waiting. That's what <laughs> peanut butter's for. So... <clears throat> uh, Things were happening to me that I could not believe. I could not believe this. I was was never, ever hungry. I was never hungry. I envied my husband, who's a normal eater, 
because he would come home from work at 4.30 and say, what do we have for dinner tonight? And I'd be sitting on the couch going, I was so stuffed. And then, of course, I had stuff for dinner, and I ate dinner too because I didn't want him to think I wasn't on my diet. And, you know, it was horrible. But I was going through this horrible time, and um, I started to think, well, you know, there's big trees in the forest and little trees in the forest, and I'm a big tree. So just give up the dieting. You're a big tree. Just eat. And I did that for about, I don't even know how long it was, but I was gaining so much weight so fast that I thought, and I was never hungry, and I thought, what is going on with me? Every day a promise to, I'll be on my diet tomorrow. Tomorrow. I'm go- I would get up in the morning because I, I went to bed stuffed at night and I promising myself so I could eat without um, guilt and then promising myself tomorrow you're really going to feel like it you're really going to feel like it and I'd get up in the morning and I was so stuffed and uncomfortable and scared very frightened when I went to bed and I'd get up in the morning and I'd walk into the kitchen and I'd go "Mm, you know I don't feel like it today I'm going to wait till I feel like it because when I feel like it, there must be a reason why I don't feel like it. So I was just giving myself another reason to eat. You know, I don't feel like it. I started to understand that I was never going to feel like it. You know, I, it, it was like tomorrow's not coming. It ended. I didn't have that. That, that was a privilege that was no longer available to me. It was gone. I had no comfort with, oh, this is another thing. My family was tremendously affected. You know, they have Al-Anon for alcoholics, um, families. And they had O-Anon for a short time, many years ago, but it didn't have enough um, support. My husband went, and he actually made a couple of friends there that he still has. And he liked it, it helped him, but it never, you know... It never advanced. My husband was very affected by me and my overeating. And, you know, it just shows how the family is affected. I have a daughter, one child. And my, but my husband, you know, we were in the begin, you know, beginnings of our marriage. We had a child very early in our marriage. <clears throat> and it was hard. It was very, very hard. I always say to people, the first 20 years is the hardest. <laughs> and... Um, and we would get into lots of fights. And every single fight, no matter what it was about, always turned into the fact that I got so fat and gained so much weight. And we were so bitter towards each other and said horrible things. And he would say, you know, I mean, I love my husband. He's like the nicest guy in the world. It, you know, I felt like he turned into an animal. You know, when we had these fights, the one thing he knew that could really hit was that he could tell me, you know, one time he said to me, he went from, you know, I'll love you no matter, and he did love me no matter what. And he said to me, if you looked like this, when we would have never met. And it was the truth. He was, he, he was at his wit's end. I used to ask him. I had no power, no strength to stop what I was doing. And I used to ask him, I used to say, Fred, when we go to a restaurant, please help me. If, you know, don't let me eat the bread. Don't let me eat, you know, the dessert. And then he said, okay, you know, okay, that's a good idea, you know. So we're at a restaurant that night. And, of course, the bread gets plopped on the table, and my hand went. He took his hand and put it on my wrist, and he had a clutch that I swear the blood stopped. (laughs) And he just took it from the box, the basket. And I hated him so. Talk about resentments. And the thing was... 
I had that I really had to work on this when I came into OA. I didn't want to get thin for him for nothing. It was like, you want me thin? F you. I am not get going there. It, I, it was so ingrained in my head that when I came into OA, I understood to say, this is for me. Nobody else. It's for me. No one's involved in this but me. And, uh, and the help I get from the people close to me. So things like that. I mean, my husband, I, I hate saying this, and this is an anonymous program, and I hope everybody keeps it that way, because something like this is really difficult for me to share with a large group, but it's very paramount to what happens to our family with this disease. It just permeates from us to the other people around us. So I really feel badly to do this to him because he's he's great. Oh, I'm going to cry. My daughter, who's now 52 years old, at the time I came into OA, I think she was turning eight. And um, she was like seven, eight, something like that. I think she was like in the sixth, second grade. She came home one day from school and said to me, Never, she never said anything to me ever about my weight. And she says, Mom, Mom, Carol's mother was in school today. She came to help the teacher. Mom, she's fatter than you. <laughs> and she had never, ever said anything to me before. But she was very conscious of what I looked like. And I never felt, I never, I mean, I felt badly for her. I thought, oh, my God, it's not only me now, it's everybody else. This was total demoralization, you know, what was happening around me. And it was like I had no control of this at all, no, nothing. I also had no comfort with food anymore. There was no comfort. I... Every, bu- every bite was um, guilt. You know, there was nothing I could erase. It. I couldn't erase the, what are you doing? And with every bite, stop it. You promised this one. You promised yourself. Broken promises again. You're going to go to sleep tonight. And say, you, it, used, it used to be before that time that I could say to myself, don't think about it now. Don't worry about the consequences. That's, you'll worry about it tomorrow. But that wasn't happening. My husband, my husband really likes ice cream. So one of the things we used to do, we used to, on Sunday nights, I was very agreeable to this, we would have ice cream for dinner instead of food. And that sounded good to me. So, um, so of course, I was in my bathrobe because clothes were so uncomfortable on me. So I wasn't going out for the ice cream. I would beg him to go. And I would make all kinds of promises if he did go. And then he said, okay. And this night, he really didn't want to go. He, I think he had it in his mind enough. I don't want to participate in the disaster. And we were in the living room. We had the TV in the living room at that time. And, of course, I was dishing out the ice cream because that was my job because I would eat half of it while I was dishing. And then I would bring the bowls in the living room, and we would sit down, and I was sitting in my chair or whatever, and he was sitting wherever he was. Then we were both eating our ice cream, and I happened to look at him, and he was looking at me, and he looked like he could not take it, that he was part of this. I could see it in him. He's a good person. He's such a disciplined man. And I caught him in this web. You know, it was, you know, what happens to us is so sad. I've never cried in front of a meeting before. This is new for me. I was guilty with the first bite. It was no, if I, if I had... An, an inch of comfort with the food, I wouldn't be here. 
there was nowhere where I was comfortable. My clothes were tight. My bra was so uncomfortable. I, I like people. I love people. I love to be with people. I was lonely and withdrawn. I didn't want anybody to see me. Pe- people that had, people that had, um, would ask us out, you know, to get together, and I'd make up some wild excuse because I was fatter than I was two weeks ago when I saw them. That's where the withdrawal was. I yet I wanted to see them, but no, I wouldn't do it because I was so I couldn't stand it. What was happening to me? So, I I also I was never hungry, never hungry. My husband, who was um, is a normal eater, would come home hungry, and I I was envious of it. I was envious. Hunger to me is now a privilege. I get the privilege of being hungry, which I never had. I mean, I love it. I really think I'm just like those other people. That's how it feels. I like that. Um, not that I like it that much, but I do. I do feel like it's abstinent. That's what it feels like. Each day, I was a larger size than the day before. I started to long for the size I was three days ago. I could not believe what was happening to me. Where was I going? Where am I going to end up? My name is Irene, of course. I don't even know if I said that. I'm a compulsive overeater. Uh, (laughs) And, and, okay, thanks. And, um... I was in I was in my living room. Oh, there. Oh, at that time um, there was. I heard that the circus had what they call a fat lady in the circus, and her name was Baby Irene. And I thought, whoa, what? Am I going to wind up in that place? And I knew it was possible. I still think it's possible. I still think it's possible. I know I have this. I am. I have a disease, and it's. Um, what do they call it? It's not in remission. It's reprieve. Thank you. Um, I was I was in my living room where I use I, I did all my binging at home, most of it, and I was right before a binge that I was trying to fight off so hard, and I thought to myself, God, could this? And of course, everything I binged on was high carb foods, you know, not just the sweets, the sandwiches, the chips. It was, I like food. I like meals. And I'd start off with a sandwich, and I'd have a sandwich, and that bread isn't so big anymore. They're making the bread smaller. Maybe I'll have a half. I'll have a half. That isn't so much. And I I go through all this stuff in my head. Oh, God, I want to be free of that. I really do. And um, so um, I would then have another half a sandwich. And then once I started that, I thought, oh, fuck it, I'll just have the other half, too. And then I didn't know. And then I was going, where Where am I going from this? You know, open the refrigerator, what's in here that I haven't had for two weeks trying to diet that I, you know, because I'll be on the diet tomorrow. That was, and I thought, and it occurred to me that maybe I'm um, addicted to carbohydrates. I knew what they were. I was very aware of that at the time. This was uh, 44 years ago, probably. And it was the carbs that I binged on, and I, that was kind of inside my mind, you know. But I thought, where could I go? I thought I was like an alcoholic. I, I wished I was an alcoholic because they had a place to go right at that moment. And then I wound up eating. So August 1972, I was 32 years old. Every day for the last two years, I was on a diet, trying to be on a diet, and failed. Every night I went to bed. I never succeeded every single day. My back went out. I went to Kaiser, an orthopedist to Kaiser. At the time, you didn't need a referral. You could just walk into an orthopedist. And um, she said to me, they took an x-ray immediately. She got the results. And she said, and I thought that they were going to put me in traction. I'll be in the hospital. I won't eat. And so she said, you're bat, you have uh, pretty severe arthritis in your spine or whatever the heck it was. And she said, I was 32, 
and she says, if you don't get that weight off you, you're going to be in a wheelchair by the time you're 50. And I felt like gripping the desk and saying, you know, don't, don't, don't do, don't relieve me. I, you know, put me in traction. Why are my jaws shut? You don't know what, but I felt I would cry, and I was too embarrassed to say anything. So I said, okay, you know, and I left, and I went in my car, and I cried, and I went to my sister's house. My aunt was visiting from New York, who I hadn't seen in a long time, and apparently in that year she lost 75 pounds. And so she said, come to an OA meeting with me, OA will cure your arthritis or something stupid like that. So I said, a meeting? I mean, I'm a Weight Watcher dropout, and um, and uh, a meeting? What the heck is a meeting going to do for me? I'm, I'm very skeptical anyway of everything. And uh, this was like, ugh. And so she says, no, just come, you know. And I thought, well, what am I going to do? I, I'm at my wit's end. So... Um, I just want to remind people of the theme of this um, um, convention. It's Joyful Journey, Stepping into Freedom. I can't say the journey for me has been joyful. The journey has been challenging and difficult at times. I'm willing to do what I need to do. And... um, but the result is joyful on, on, on every level. The result is, is joyful, joyous, happy, and free. That's the result. Um, so stepping into freedom, and I think that's the truth. You know, we're stepping into freedom with these steps. I mean, it's, they're not easy, but they're simple, and they do give us freedom. At least that, that's what has ha- happened to me or happens to me when I practice them. So my aunt took me to my first meeting, and she, on my first meeting, I never heard the words compulsive overeater before. Oh, 15 minutes left. Oh, my God. And they talked about um, that I'm a compulsive overeater. I had never heard that before. And I thought, oh, my God, that's what I am. I am a compulsive overeater. I, it's a compulsion. That's what it is. I have a compulsion. That was like, oh, that was such a relief to hear. That's nobody knows, as far as I I can understand, what a compulsion is unless they've experienced it. And I thought, this is it. I'm I ha- I'm doing things I don't want to do, and I'm compelled to do them. I have to do them, and so that made sense to me. The leader, who was also from AA spoke about carbohydrate addiction, and I said, damn, oh my God, that's the truth. I'm addicted to carbohydrates, and it's similar to alcoholism, except it's a different substance. And she said, we have a disease. There's something inside of us, whether it's in the brain, which I think it is because I've been seeing more articles appear on this. Something has happened to our brain which we don't get filled. I still today, I don't know I'm full until it's all gone. That's why I have to eat a measured meal because that's, I just don't get it until maybe 15 minutes after it's all gone. And so I do have a disease and I'm relieved of the guilt of this because there is something wrong with me. I met someone in Safeway soon after I joined OA. She said, so how's your weight been? You know, I'm, I think I, I'm before a month of abstinence. And I said to her, I can't get over. I found this organization, and there's something wrong with me. I was so happy to tell people there's something <laughs> wrong with me. You know? <laughs> My husband would have loved to hear me tell people there's something wrong with me. And it was a it was a real relief, and it still is. You know, there is, and I and I'm I don't hide it. You know that there is something wrong with me. At my first meeting, not only did I hear about carbohydrate addiction, and my, this, the leader said all you have to do is stay away from the first bite. 
don't take a crumb. And every day away from those foods will get easier and easier. And I was guaranteed that I would lose the cravings which were directing me as long as I don't take a crumb. And I thought, wow, that's what I wanted to hear my whole life. I wanted out. I wanted it to end. I wanted wanted myself back. I was a slave to these things. I had to eat them. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. I had to have them, and I wanted out. So I started to listen to the reading. Almost every meeting, we read how it works. There are some meetings that they don't read it, and I think it's a pity because I'm one of those people that got so much out of that reading. It says, let me see if they, I thought I had talked about it. These cards are together. They stick together. Honesty. It's not so much my honesty at at the checker in the Safeway as much as it is with myself. And my binging experiences, when I heard how it works, I was thinking of my binging experiences proved to me that I was addicted to carbohydrates. That I didn't have to do any research anymore. I had done research since the age of five, and I was 32. That was plenty. I had known every time I get in the boxing ring with those things, they win, and they win bigger each time. So that was proof for me. Then I heard, if you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, I think it says then you are ready to take certain steps, any length to get it, I never went to any length to get anything but food. I drive anywhere. I even get up at any any time during the night. I mean, I just went to any length for food, but I never went to any length for anything in my life up to that point. I had, you know, I, I went through childbirth. I went through pain. I've had many surgeries as a child where I had was in pain for 24 hours. And, and I absolutely decided if I could go through that, I can go to any length for this. I am going, 10 minutes. I am going to die. I made a commitment to suffer, to get better. So I wanted to lose the craving. I wanted not to have those foods, but I couldn't. I wanted that. It said some of us tried to hold on to our old ideas, and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. Things like, oh, when I go and get on a diet, my stomach will shrink. My stomach doesn't shrink. I have a friend that comes in and out of OA that had bypass surgery. She had to lose. She weighed about 320 pounds. She had to lose a lot of weight. You know, she's a big woman. She's like five foot nine, but she had to lose probably 150 pounds. She lost like 90 pounds, and now she's eating with bypass surgery. She says, it's really funny. The cookies go down fine. With protein, I get filled up, but the cookies go down fine. And uh, there, so there's no, there's no such thing for people like me, I th- at least for me, for a shrinking stomach. Because there's so much of this. It's, it's a brain thing. There's something in our brain that has gone berserk. And um, what did I put here? Yeah, yeah. when I get thin, I'll eat everything. That was another. Uh, some of us have, you know, our old ideas, and the result was nil. And so I, I'll eat everything. Yeah, the result was really nil on that one. Half measures availed us nothing. Taking a bite, um, a taste of my husband's spoon of ice cream is a half measure. It availed me nothing. You know, I'm still addicted, and it'll fuel Another binge. It may not fuel it right then because this is cunning and baffling and powerful. And the cunning part is not going to get me right then. It's pulling me in and, I'm, and making me really believe that, oh, you know, I could eat these things. You know, I'm not, I never binged on corn in my life, but I don't eat it because it's a carb. 
I don't eat anything made of corn because it's not the corn I'm going to go for. It's what I like to eat, you know. So, <clears throat> so as I said before, I made a decision to suffer, and it was the best decision I've ever made. Um, at the same meeting, I asked somebody, um, this is my first experience with prayer. I, I'm an atheist, or I'm, I'm a Jew that doesn't practice. Let me put it that way. Um, I'm a cultural Jew, as I've heard somebody say, and I thought, yeah, that's true. I'm a cultural Jew, and I'm proud of it. But I'm, um, you know, I don't believe I, I don't believe in God, but I use it. So I said to I said to my this person at my first meeting, I reveal that I have this de- devil angel thing in my head, and then when that, and I was the angel, and then the devil was the compulsion, and it sits in my brain until it has patience, until I give in, and I said, how am I going to overcome that when that comes into my mind, and so she looked at me, and she says, you know something, you have to ask God to take it, because you can't handle it. That prayer, 43 years later, I use every single day. God, take it. I can't handle it for everything. For everything, it is so quick, effective, and easy to remember. So, so that that's what I went home with for my first day. <clears throat> uh, all I had to do was be abstinent for the next twenty-four hours. I had never had that concept before. I used to think, oh, "What am I going to do? Be on my diet today and lose a half a pound on this hulk?" You know, what's that going to do for me? So if anybody says, you want to go for pizza tonight? I say, sure, you know. What, what is it? You know, I've only been on a diet for a day. You know, what progress is that? But now it became a whole different thing. Let's see if I could stay away from carbs for the next 24 hours. Let's see. Let's experiment. Let's see if this is going to work and if what they say is true. And it happened. This is the thing. It was an experiment, and it's true. It's so simple. And it's not easy. The first day was a diff- was very, very difficult for me. And there were times that I really didn't think, oh, this is- they don't know how hard this is at that meeting, that everybody holds their hands. And, um, <laughs> you know, I thought they're different than me. They don't have it this strong, you know, that kind of stuff. But I asked God to take it because I couldn't handle it. Each day away from the carbs... I actually felt was easier. I went to bed that my first night, and I said to Fred, this was 10 o'clock at night, I did it! I did it! Because I had a plan. I came in Tuesday night. Wednesday was going to be the 24 hours, and if I hated it, Thursday I was going to have a hot fudge Sunday. I'm happy to report Thursday never came. (laughs) So I'm happy to report that the desire... The cravings ended within a few weeks. They were gone. And they weren't there all the time either because I was committed to this. At the meetings, oh, I just want to say, because I did not measure my food for a long time in the beginning, all my sponsor used to say was just get off the carbs. We'll deal with the rest, the measuring, another time. I was not capable of measuring my food. So I, I had large plates, no seconds. I ate like what um, a laborer would do that does construction and, and digs, you know, and is 20 years old and could dig six feet down, you know, in five minutes. That's, I filled up my plate like that, but I did not have the carbs. I had real mayonnaise. I had real salad dressing. I had a vision of all the diet, everything diet, light, anything was thrown into a big debris box. It's gone. No more. No more. Um, five and a half months later, see, at first I was not capable of weighing and measuring. And gray sheet, I don't know if anybody here is familiar with gray sheet, it saved my life and still continues to save my life. I started on gray sheet. It says on the pamphlet, do this for 21 days. So I took it literally. Oh, five minutes. Anyway, I was on gray sheet for 21 days. 
And I, the rest of my path was measuring, not measuring, measuring, not measuring. So it took me five and a half years to lose 100 pounds because of that. I had never gained weight, and to this day, I'm happy to say that so far, so good. Yeah, it's funny. Even when I say that, I, I don't even want to say it because I feel like, is that going to be a jinx? You know, I mean, this thing is so, I feel like, you know, I have two sentries on my shoulders and they're guarding me. And um, anyway, I have other things to talk about here. I heard the steps at meetings and I stayed on step one for a very long time. Um, I do these steps. It's not because I'm a nice person and I think, I, well, I, like I wake up one day and say, you know, I think these steps are a good idea and I want to live that way. No, it's because... It's the only way that I'm aware of to maintain my abstinence. My abstinence is the most important thing in my life without exception. It comes first. My abstinence, anyone that talks to me, maybe they stay away from me too because of this, they, um, they know, they know. But, you know, some people don't know the background and what I went through. And, you know, desperation is a gift, you know, as it turns out. Deep desperation is a gift, and I, I know there's another bottom for me. I know in my soul I'm capable of going back. I don't know that I have another recovery in me. You know, that's why people say, you've been coming for so many, a day at a time, three minutes. Okay, um, so I started to get to step two. I asked my sponsor, I read in the big book about, um, this really scared me to death. The, bit, the big book gave me an anxiety attack in the beginning. I was much more comfortable with the AA 12 steps and 12 traditions. We didn't have a book then, so basically that's the book I learned on, on the AA books. It says, but after a while we had to face the fact, this is in We Agnostics, page 44, 41, 44 page 44. But after a while, we had to face the fact that we must find a spiritual basis of life or else. You know, change or die, they say. I'm hearing that, you know, kind of a theme here too for me this weekend. So I asked my sponsor, how could I, um, how could I get a higher power? I have to do this. I, I was like, my heart was beating like this. What do I have to do? And so she says, did you ever have some idea of what you wanted a, a God to be? And I did. You know, I wanted God to be arms outstretched, holding me and forgiving me and being like a support, you know, there for me. And so she said, pretend that that's there. Pretend that God is there. Act as if is what I did. And, I st and she said, everywhere you are, understand that God is everything in the floor, everything, and your eyes rest on certain people, certain things for a reason. And that's because God is doing for you what you could not do for yourself. Just act that way and pretend. And I had a young kid that did pretend, and this I thought, okay, I'm going to do it like my daughter Sue. So now I started to live that way, and now I came to step three. Step three for me was the beginning of an acceleration of the program for me. I started, my abstinence got tighter. I started, my weighing and measuring was better. I started to align my will with God's. And it's like this, okay. God's will is in the middle, and my will, when I'm determined to do something that's probably not a good idea, it's over here. And when, like my husband, I, I've told the story a lot, when I wanted chicken one night for dinner, and I, at that time I used to like Foster Farms, and, I call, and he called me up at work, and I said, look, can you go to the store for me? Because he got off work early at the time. And I said, get me some Foster Farms chicken, and, he, and because I wanted it for dinner that night. And then he called me up about 45 minutes later, and he says, none of the stores have it. I said, well, you know, go down the peninsula. Go somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's what I wanted to say. Let me say that that's the first thing that came into my mind. Don't stop. 
you know? And, but when he got on the phone, I was like, oh. And then I said, okay, God, please. And here's my will. And as, you know, it just in moments. And it was coming like this, just like this. My time is up. Okay. So when, only when I felt protected was I able to do the remainder of the program because I need protection for all those, the remaining steps. Um, So for me, a relationship with a higher power turned out to be critical to really do a fearless, thorough, and searching fourth step. It was so, I, in doing the fourth step, I really probed, you know, just let it come up, Irene. And when, after I put it down, and I still was so anxious about the situation, I don't know, I got this in one of the AA books, and it said, after I put the situation down, ask myself how I could have behaved differently. What could I have done differently? So I got growth out of all those things that I never grew from. I'm done, huh? I'm finished? No more? Um, Anyway, my maintenance steps are 7, 10, 11, 11, and 12. Step 7 deals with humility. And... um, I I wanted to do a reading here for humility. Here it is. Can I read this? Do I have time? Is it okay? I want to make sure. This this is from the AA 12 Step and 12 Traditions, page 76. This improved perception of humility starts another revolutionary change in our outlook. Our eyes begin to open the immense values which have come straight out of painful ego puncturing. Until now, our lives have been largely devoted to running from pain and problems. Sound familiar? We fled from them as from a plague. We never wanted to deal with the fact of suffering. Escape via the bottle was, al- was always our solution. Bottle, food. Character building through suffering might be all right for saints, but it certainly didn't appeal to us. Then in no way we looked and listened. Everywhere we saw failure and misery transformed by humility into priceless assets. We heard story after story of how humility had brought strength out of weakness. In every case, pain had been the price of admission into a new life. So it's not so joyful while we're doing it, but the result is. But this admission price had purchased more than we expected. It brought a measure of humility, which we soon discovered to be a healer of pain. A healer of pain. Did I know that? I mean, I I read that. I saw this. Not that long ago, and I've been reading the steps for 43 years. I've went to a step meeting every single week, and I still do. When I read this about five years ago, I was like, why don't they have that in caps? <laughs> this is humility. is the healer of pain. Who knew? So we began to fear pain less and desire humility more. So this is one of my maintenance steps. When I'm in a situation I think that I'm uncomfortable with, I think, how would humility heal this? How would humility heal this? Sometimes is that I'm trying to hide the fact that I'm a compulsive overeater and it's very uncomfortable hiding it. You know, it's time to admit. Um, it, it Also... We, we've been informed by the big book that resentment is the number one offender because I'm always looking back. I always wanted to know while I was abstinent what is going to do it for me. What is going to make me just snap and go back to this? And they said resentment. It says it on page 64 of the big book. So every single thing that happens in my life 
if I'm asked to do something, I think to myself, will I resent this? Am I going to resent this? That's a big question for me. Then I have to have courage to be the real me. I really, it takes a lot of courage to be the real me. And a lot of people don't like it, you know, and I have to sit with that. Uh, But step 10 takes care of this. Step 10, continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. As soon as I feel uncomfortable all during the day about an incident that had just occurred, I immediately, because I don't want a resentment, because everything I do, I'm doing to maintain my abstinence. I'm not like this virtuous person who got up one day and said, this seems like a good idea, I'll do this. Like a Bible, you know. So when I'm uncomfortable about something, how I behaved, I do a 10th step, and then I... But I just don't do it like, oh, I'll do a 10th step. It's like I have to pray and ask God to help me for the courage. I don't want to look back at myself. It's just that's intuitively that's the way I am. I just don't want to look back on myself. So, And then sometimes I need to talk it over with one or two people, and that really, really helps me. My time is up. Okay. At the end, I just want to read this last thing, which <laughs> it's just not very long. I'm sorry. But to me, this is, I, I hope it's okay. Well, thank you. Why all this, in, this is at the end of step one in the AA book, in the uh, step book. Why all this insistence that every OA must hit bottom first? The answer is that few people will sincerely try to practice the OA program unless they have hit bottom. For practicing OA's remaining 11 steps, means the adoption of attitudes and actions that almost no compulsive overeater who is still eating can dream of taking. Who wishes to be rigorously honest and tolerant? Who wants to confess his faults to another and make restitution for harms done? Who cares about anything about a higher power, let alone meditation and prayer? Who wants to sacrifice time and energy in trying to carry OA's message to the next sufferer? No, not the average compulsive overeater. Self-centered in the extreme doesn't care for this prospect unless he has to do these things in order to stay alive, him or herself. That's it. Thank you. Thank you so much to our speaker. That was awesome. Is Mary R. here? I'm not sure she is because she might still be out front at the desk. Mary R. Uh, that's okay. She was going to help us close out uh, tonight, uh, this this morning. Um, All righty. I just wanted to remind you that the audio recordings are available out at All Star Media's desk, so please avail yourself of, of those if you would like. Um, all righty. And then we are going to have um, our closing prayer for this session. Then you're all going to be invited to our closing ceremony at 10 o'clock over in the Champagne Ballroom. So if we could all stand up, please, and join hands. We're going to pray the seventh step prayer. Okay, great. Thank you. All righty. Deep breath. My creator. I am now ready that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength 
as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. Coming back, it works. Yay.